It all started back in the 1800s. While working on the Transcontinental Railroad, indentured Chinese workers used an oil made from the Chinese water snake to soothe their aching muscles. The Chinese water snake is rich in omega-3 acids and modern science now shows it can help reduce inflammation. Word began to spread about the healing oil and American salesmen looking to get rich made their own, but they used rattlesnake which didn't have the same medicinal properties as the Chinese water snake. But add a little alcohol, a little opium, and soon folks were buying into the idea. Now these salesmen would peddle their snake oil at vaudeville-style medicine shows. At the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago, the rattlesnake king, Clark Stanley, cut open a live rattlesnake and threw it into boiling water. And when the fat rose to the top, he skimmed it off and used it on the spot to create his liniment. Well, the crowd went crazy. There were two big problems. First, rattlesnake oil is not rich in omega-3 acids. Second, Stanley's bottled snake oil didn't even have any real snake oil in it of any kind. This prompted an entire industry of cure-all concoctions for everything from baldness to skull fractures. But journalists began to suspect that something was wrong. A national magazine printed an edition in 1905 calling snake oil and other fake remedies the Great American Fraud. After that, there was great public outcry, so politicians passed the Pure Food and Drug Act the following year and created the Food and Drug Administration. Clark Stanley was convicted of fraud under this act and fined $20. But eventually, a metaphor was born, snake oil, now used to describe any worthless remedy. And the concept of charlatans selling fraudulent goods or services deliberately is alive and well, even in the world of professional communications. My name is Doug Downs. My guest this episode is Michelle Garrett of Garrett Public Relations based in Columbus, Ohio. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Doug. Michelle is a public relations consultant and award-winning writer with more than 20 years of agency, corporate, nonprofit, and startup experience. She graduated with honors with a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and Political Science from Ohio State University. Go Buckeyes! She's had articles featured in Entrepreneur, Forbes, Muckrack, Reagan's PR Daily, Meltwater, Critical Mention, and Spin Sucks. Michelle was also named a Top 100 PR Influencer by Analytica and is a member of the Advisory Council of the National Organization of American Women in Public Relations, or Women in PR USA. Now, Michelle, 
by the nature of the work we do, we are based in ethics and upholding the values of any organization that we work with or for. We're beacons of integrity. So how frustrating is it that sometimes we're not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's true. Um, I think that a lot of times there is a, a small subset of PR um, I don't even know if I should call them professionals that um, seem to kind of spoil it for the rest of us by um, trying to sell clients things they don't need, you know, making everything way more expensive than it needs to be. And, you know, making promises that we really just can't deliver on. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that's the recipe for snake oil. Well, okay, let's start with the last item on the list there, making promises we cannot keep. Michelle, the association ethics that I follow are from IABC, International Association of Business Communicators. And one of the 11 commandments of that organization's ethical code is, I do not guarantee results that are beyond my power to deliver. But you're right. This is probably the most often broken commandment. Absolutely. I mean, I have conversations like this all the time. In fact, I had one kind of today um, with a company founder who I think, you know, was kind of expecting me or wanting me to guarantee, you know, coverage in top tier publications. And I just refuse to do it. And I will tell clients, you know, even, you know, when we're still exploring whether or not we want to work together, I'm very upfront with clients about that. And I'll just say, you know, I want you to understand public relations, earned media is not guaranteed media. It's not like buying an ad in a paper and, you know, it's going to show up on Tuesday and it's going to say these things and it's not like that. So there is some risk involved um, and it's, it's not the same as a paid placement. Right. And I've noticed now that some of the newswire services will reach an agreement with some of the bigger newspapers that on a particular page on the newspaper's website, any and all news releases will be published. So technically in PR, I can say here in Canada, I will get you on the National Post's website. Technically, I'm not lying. Technically, you're not lying, but um, in my view, and I think, you know, in an ethical PR view, um, it is not the same because obviously, I mean, there's, we could have a discussion about wire services. That's a whole discussion of its own. Um, wire services, you know, that's, you would pay for that and you, it would, the release would show up, the press release might, you know, show up on certain websites, but it's not the same as a PR pro pitching a story that a reporter then writes about the client that then is published as a, um, you know, it's, it's an objective point of view. That's, that's what earned media PR, that's what that is at its heart, in my opinion. Right. It doesn't meet the spirit of what the client was actually anticipating. Mm -hmm. We do have an example to share of this concept. It's from the 2013 movie Wolf of Wall Street, distributed by Paramount. In this scene, Leo DiCaprio shows his cold-calling abilities to make promises that he can't keep. <laughs> Hello, John. How you doing today? You mailed in my company a postcard a few weeks back requesting information on penny stocks that had huge upside potential with very little downside risk. Does that ring a bell? Okay, great. Well, reason for the call today, John, is something just came across my desk, John. It is perhaps the best thing I've seen in the last six months. If you have 60 seconds, I'd like to share the idea with you. You got a minute? 
Name of the company, Aerotine International. It is a cutting edge high tech firm out of the Midwest awaiting imminent patent approval on a next generation of radar detectors that have both huge military and civilian applications. Now, right now, John, the stock trades over the counter at 10 cents a share. And by the way, John, our analysts indicate it could go a heck of a lot higher than that. Your profit on a mere $6,000 investment would be upwards of $60,000. Jesus, that's my mortgage, man. Exactly, you could pay off your mortgage. This stock will pay off my company. John, one thing I can promise you, even in this market, is that I never ask my clients to judge me on my winners. I ask them to judge me on my losers because I have so few. And in the case of Aerotime, based on every technical factor out there, John, we are looking at a grand slam home run. Four thousand, that'd be forty thousand shares, John. Let me lock in that trade right now and get back to you with my secretary with an exact confirmation. Sound good, John? Yeah, good. Great. Hey John, thank you for your vote of confidence and welcome to the Investor Center. Yeah, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. <laughs> what do you uh -oh. think? Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know. That building, the clip of the building reminded me of uh, you know, startups in Silicon Valley that I've uh, worked with before. So <laughs> Yeah. Smooth talking wolf. You know, another thing, in this digital age, automated PR is inevitable and not entirely evil. I think that's true. I mean, we obviously need to think about the digital aspect of anything that we're doing. I mean, AI is going to make a difference in what we do, just like it will in a lot of other, um, you know, professions. And um, we can kind of take some of the... I don't know, busy work out of our jobs, maybe with some automation, with contact lists, media lists, uh, measuring matrix and things like that. Um, there are tools that um, will um, monitor word mentions by reporters mm -hmm. um, that if they match a pitch for your product or service will automatically pitch the reporter based on their mention. So. Wow. Um, there are those types of services as well. And then um, there are um, other types of um, automated services um, that um, you can use to help create your pitches. I mean, I've even seen AI used in creating news stories. So that is another area where I think, you know, even journalists are concerned about automation um, in their profession. I think for PR pros, uh, the thing that I always come back to is that it's still about relationships to a degree. And I think that we can really um, continue to count on our ability to build relationships with influencers and journalists. That's something that we've, PR people have been doing since the beginning of time. And so um, there, there will always be the importance of relationships. Another issue you raised off the top is charging at too expensive a rate. Let me let me play devil's advocate for a second. If if I charge a client, say two hundred and fifty dollars an hour, and they're willing to pay it, isn't it good for me? Um, if they choose not to pay it, then that's my loss. Mm -hmm. Well, I just think what I found is that with agencies, and there's nothing wrong with working with an agency, especially if you have the budget and you need a bigger team. I think that's perfectly reasonable to consider an agency. I just saw when I worked at an agency, a lot of the time I felt like it was overkill for what the company needed, especially a smaller business or startup. 
Um, they have fixed monthly minimums. I mean, I've heard 10,000, 20,000 a month for even a smaller company. I mean, that's just kind of out of sight in my opinion and my experience. And I think sometimes too, when you hire an agency, um, I mean, many people probably know this already, but a lot of times they will send in, you know, the big guns to sell the account. And then the people that are actually doing the work on your day-to-day -day business are the brand new, uh, fresh out of college graduates, which nothing, not taking anything away at all from those folks. It's just a terrible position to put them in. And it's not really being completely honest with the client who just hired you thinking they're getting, you know, you're bringing your experience to bear on their needs when really, um, you know, it's somebody who may not have a lot of experience that's really trying to carry out the day-to-day -day work. So I think that that can be a really problematic equation. Absolutely. And the third example is selling clients services or products that they don't really need. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> once I had experience where I was talking with a potential client and they had mentioned that they had worked with a firm, another firm locally that had charged them $20,000 and pretty much all they got out of it was a glorified press kit. Oh my. And so they had a real, um, you know, it was a bad, left a bad taste in their mouth. And so I, I, I see that happen a lot. And I think that there's a trust issue there because you know, not all PR people are dishonest and not all PR people will try to sell their clients things they don't need or overcharge them. But it's it's hard to maybe vet and find the really honest, good PR people. Mm -hmm. And I know from my own experience, sometimes it's selling them something they don't really need. Other times uh, I've seen PR people draw an affection toward a certain kind of software, say for stakeholder engagement, and they really want to use this software, even though the client doesn't necessarily really need it, but they convince the client to pay for it, that kind of thing. Yes, that I see that too. And there's another form of snake oil that everyone's all too familiar with, spin. When we're hired by a company to promote something that has obvious flaws, but we pitch only the positive. Yes, that's absolutely uh, correct in some cases. And I think the funny thing about that is that journalists really like a kind of an underdog or comeback story or some kind of conflict. That's what a story is. Storytelling has, you know, a, a, a beginning, middle and an end in that, you know, it's not all roses and sunshine the whole time. They want to hear how, how companies overcame challenges and things like that. So I think that's you know, it, it's, it's wrong to try to spin it. And it's also a mistake to only tell the good parts of your story. Right. Yeah, that is a great point, actually. Ah, as luck would have it, we do have an example of spin in this scene from the BBC comedy Absolute Power. Charles, played by Stephen Fry, and his business partner, Martin, run a PR company and are debating the merits of representing a new client who happens to be a Nazi sympathizer. God forgive me, Charles. We've got to get out of here immediately. This is quite impossible. Nothing's impossible, Martin. If we've set our mind to it, we don't falter. What? Well, when Edwina revealed so vividly to us that she was actually a man, did we hesitate in promoting her memoir? Charles, I think we need to get you back to London straight away. If I want your opinion, Martin, I'll give it to me. No, we took the client. We're not about to ditch the client. 
Suddenly, because things have got a bit eggy. A bit eggy? Jules, they're Nazis. Well, think about it. That's the ultimate PR challenge, isn't it? Decades of terrible press. But what did they actually achieve? Oh, you mean apart from the slaughter of millions of Jews? Right, I can't believe I'm hearing this. You cannot spin the final solution. They gave us Gewürztraminer, Riefenstahl, uh, uh, the Autobahn, the Volkswagen, an iconic use of dark leathers, and they made the sausages run on time. You cannot spin the Holocaust. Well, 20 years ago, you couldn't pay people to have an Alsatian. Devil dogs. But then rebrand them as German shepherds. German, please note. And suddenly, bingo, they're top of the poochie pots. You don't have to buy the video. You can own it. See? All in a word. Poochie pops. But above all, Martin, think of the money. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we I think we've all been in those positions before where we had to make a choice about, you know, a client that may not be um, everything we thought they were. So. <laughs> yes. And we work in an industry that has always had issues consistently demonstrating quantifiable value, which is so important. And that's led to some snake oil practices around fuzzy math, such as the earned media value being equivalent to what it would have cost to purchase the same time or space, ick, as well as social media snake oil, like impressions. Yes, I think measurement is still an area that um, we're seeing, you know, more being uncovered there, I guess. Um, I think that there's still a lot to be done there. And I but I do think it's definitely on everyone's radar at this point. And if you're using those old metrics, I think that um, it's time to probably, you know, rethink that and, and start coming up with some other ways to measure the value of what we're doing. And how we do that, I think um, that's a whole nother uh, podcast, probably. One idea to resolve the questionable nature of some PR practices is to license us as professionals, just like physicians, electricians, plumbers. What do you think of that idea, Michelle? Well, I see a lot of discussion about this. Um, I, I'm spending a lot of time on Twitter. And of course, PR pros are always talking about this topic. And I think that there's, um, you know, a lot of discussion about whether or not it can be done in a meaningful way. Because I think that that raises some questions as much as it would perhaps take away some of that doubt and um, kind of give us more credibility. I think it would be possibly hard to measure as well like you know who how do you get a license and do you have to maintain those standards you have to re you know retest to keep your license or you know how often and you know what are the violations and how do you keep track of that and i mean because i think anybody can like take a test and get a uh, you know a certification for something but i mean are they living up to those standards and i i really think that is fairly hard to measure unless we're all reporting on each other, perhaps. And I'm not sure that that's a situation that anybody really <laughs> wants to be in either. So yeah, Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Doug. This was fun. If you'd like to send a message to my guest, Michelle Garrett, you can email her at Michelle at Michelle Garrett, double R double T dot com. You can also follow Michelle on Twitter. It's worth it. Her handle is at 
PR is us. If you liked what you heard today, we're hoping you'll choose to follow and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever directory you're listening on. Also, would you do us a favor and recommend this podcast to one friend? And if you have an idea for an episode or just want to tell us something, send us a note at info at jgrcommunications.com. Thanks for listening.